Well, we're wrapping up our sermon series, Minor But Still Major. We're going to talk about a couple this morning by the name of Hosea and Gomer. With that said, how many remember this movie a few years back? Anybody remember what this is? Pretty Woman, right? It's about a woman played by Julia Roberts who was uh, beautiful, who was good-natured, a little bit naive, and somehow ended up in a life of prostitution. She uh, gets in contact with this uh, guy played by Richard Gere, who uh, plays a successful businessman, um, who asked her to accompany him on several social events. Anyway, long story short, eventually they fall in love, and uh, he rescues her out of that life of prostitution. Well, that story or that kind of story melts our hearts every time because we grew up believing in fairy tales. You marry your prince, you marry your princess, you're going to live happily ever after. Sometimes sounds a little too good to be true. Amen? But I would say in this story, the reality is in this story, Pretty Woman, it wasn't that original at all. It wasn't even that creative at all because it had been done before a long time ago, even in the Bible, and every bit of the plot mirrors the story we're going to talk about, or a whole lot of it, in the book of Hosea. Only Hosea isn't a successful businessman. He's a young preacher. He's a young single guy, a young single prophet over the northern territory or the northern kingdom of Israel, um, who lived at a time when the religious people really didn't want to hear what God had to say. The religious people really didn't want to hear the message that Hosea was bringing. Instead, they wanted to be out there living life on their own terms, living, living it up, uh, doing what they wanted, and not really paying too much attention to what God had to say. Well, the northern kingdom had prospered materially, but they had really decayed spiritually. The people were so greedy that they actually started taking on a whole lot of the behaviors of the idolatrous religions all around them. But this Hosea that I'm talking about this morning, this young preacher, when he preached, he preached and brought a message of God's judgment, God's chastisement, sort of one of those turn and burn type of messages, type of preaching. In the first few years of his ministry, he was condemning sinners every day, saying if you don't turn and repent, you're going to burn. If you don't turn and repent and come back to God, you're doomed. Well, this wasn't something that the Israelites wanted to hear at all. They didn't like it when Hosea preached that way, and I'll just be honest, not many people do. But because of that, Hosea's audience dwindled, and it dwindled, it got smaller and smaller, to the point where it wasn't even uh, hardly worth his time to be out there speaking because no one was listening. But when this happened, Hosea saw it happening, and he took it to God, and he asked for God's help. Help me, God, in getting this people that are stubborn to start listening to your message. Well, God told him to do, I'll say, a very strange thing, a really strange thing. First of all, he told him his bachelor days were over, which probably perked him up a little bit. He's thinking, I'm single, I'm going to get married, this is awesome. Maybe not so much. Listen to Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. That Hebrew word for promiscuous woman could be translated harlot or prostitute, so God is telling his prophet to go marry a harlot, go marry a prostitute, and even have children with her. Go marry a very immoral woman. Well, why would God ever say that to anyone, let alone his prophet? Well, he kind of fills us in on the details next. 
He says, for like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. He's basically saying, because the people of this land, my own people, are out there committing a greater assault, a a, a greater um, sin or a type of adultery, departing from the Lord, he says, I tell you what I want you to do, Hosea, I want you to go out and marry this woman. But let me just tell you, and you've got to understand this, she's going to cheat on you. She's going to be unfaithful to you. In fact, she's going to become an ordinary street prostitute in the end. But I still want you to marry her. Some of you are thinking, this is really in the Bible, or is he making this up? No, it's in the Bible. This story is actually in the book of Hosea. It sounds uh, uh, probably a little puzzling to Hosea. God, what are you trying to tell me? This doesn't make any sense at all. How many of you have ever dealt with some times where what God was telling you or you sensed God was telling you didn't make any sense at all either? Well, let me tell you, the Bible says his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. I mean, God often does things that we don't understand until sometimes we look back after the fact and we see why he did what he did. I'll be honest, sometimes you never know why he did what he did. The good news is that he's going to get married. He's probably excited about that. The bad news is he's going to be marrying a prostitute. Well, Hosea went courting this woman by the name of Gomer to marry her, and uh, he asked her to marry her, and she agrees. So it says in verse 3, so he married Gomer. I'm thinking Gomer. When I hear the name of Gomer for a woman in the Bible, I mean, I'm thinking of that Johnny Cash song, A Boy Named Sue. Amen. It just doesn't fit. I'm thinking Gomer. What kind of name is Gomer? But it goes on and says, so he married Gomer. Daughter of De Blame. I'll just say I believe her parents were to blame for that name. <laughs> so he marries Gomer, daughter of De Blame, and she conceived and bore him a son. But then God told Hosea what to name the son. Look at verse 4. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Now, Jezreel, if you don't know, actually means castaway. So it's kind of a strange name to be naming your son. Your firstborn son, we're going to call him castaway. In fact, it was also a name of shame in that culture and in that day in Israel. And I'll tell you why. If you remember the bloody, uh, bloody time or the bloody story of Queen Jezebel and King Ahab, if you remember, King Ahab is found in 2 Kings chapter 9. He actually cheats his neighbor out of his property. He cheats his neighbor out of his property, stole his neighbor's vineyard. And long story short, Jezebel, wicked queen, pagan Jezebel, was at the root of it all. She put him up to it. So God's judgment comes down on her for her wickedness. So you've got to picture this. Jezebel one day is up in the upper story window of her palace. She's looking down and she sees Jehu, the commander, and his soldiers around him. And he looks up and sees her, and he commands his soldiers to cast her away. That means go up there and throw her out the window. And they did. They threw her out the window. She splats on the pavement. She dies. The dogs come and eat her flesh. You're still not believing this is in the Bible, but it is. The courtyard after that that she fell into from that day on was named Jezreel. It was actually named Castaway. So Hosea is given instructions by God to name your firstborn son Castaway. Name him Jezreel. 
I think it's God's way of telling his people that disobedience leads to disaster. Did you catch that? Disobedience leads to disaster. Hosea knew, though, that his life, from what God had told him, was going to be a sort of a living sermon illustration, a warning from God to his people that they too would be cast away if they didn't turn their hearts back to him. And God was actually drawing this picture out by, in part by naming this son that name. Eventually, another child was born to Hosea and Gomer, a daughter. Look, look what it says in verse 6. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call her Loruhamah, which means not loved, for I will no longer show love to Israel that I should at all forgive them. Let me just ask you, can you imagine naming your daughter not loved? Can you just imagine that? Can you imagine the conversation between the husband and the wife? She says, I want to name her Rachel. I want to name her Tina. I want to name her Cindy. And you, you, perk your, you put your hand up and say, hey, I've got an idea. How about we name her not loved? I don't think it's going to fly. Long story short, God is actually showing his people that his patience is running thin. And after continually warning them, he's telling them that he's about to run out of patience and he's about to turn them over to the wicked Assyrians. But in verse 8, the family keeps growing. Now when she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she conceived and bore a son. Then God said, call his name Lo-Ami, for you are not my people and I will not be your God. When it comes down to it, when you look at these names, I actually believe these names are revealing the hurt that's, God, hurt that's in God's heart. I believe you can hear the hurt as God sees the people turning their back on him, rejecting him over and over again. And if you've ever been cheated on, maybe you know that kind of pain. Because God is actually feeling cheated on. He's feeling like his people are out there committing spiritual adultery. And if you read this whole book of Hosea, you ought to do it sometime. You can't help but feel the pain in God's heart. It seems like it's everywhere on, in every chapter. But God now uh, was planning on using this pain for a good use for his people. Some preachers, they have to do things to get the attention of their people. I even try that sometimes. But Hosea's naming his children for that purpose really wasn't anything new. It really wasn't because back in that day, in that culture, God would many times use symbols. He would use names to get his point across, to teach his people some kind of lesson. But now God was planning to use this prophet and his family as really a living object lesson to teach his people what he wanted them to see. Well, I'm just going to paraphrase the story as we get into this for sake of time. But after the birth of Loami, they don't have any more children. But immediately, Gomer starts going into this full sad prediction that God had made when he told Hosea to marry Gomer in the first place. She's now left him. She sends him a Dear John letter that says, I've decided to find my happiness, the happiness that I think I deserve. And by the way, uh, Hosea, uh, why don't you just keep the kids? She says, you take care of the kids. I'm going to go chasing after the man that I really love. When I hear that, I'm thinking maybe she influenced the writer that wrote that song, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. Amen? <laughs> Think about it. She was looking for love in all the wrong places. Look at chapter 2, verse 5. Their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. This is implying that those three children that they had, guess what? They weren't Hosea's. 
They weren't Hosea's children at all. She had been out there running around on him. But guess what he does? He claims them anyway. He loves them anyway. Shows the heart of this man and prophet Hosea. She, being Gomer, said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food, my water, my wool, and my linen, my olive oil, and my drink. So she's saying her lovers are providing everything she needs, her water, her drink, her food, whatever she needs, they're providing. Gomer, uh, Hosea kind of uh, steps up and says, wait a minute, that's not really the truth of the story. Verse 8, he says, she has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine and oil, who lavished on her the silver and the gold, which they used for Baal. I believe Hosea is looking out, he's seeing his wife shacking up with this guy that cannot provide for her. And I'm just guessing, but I'm guessing he's keeping a pretty close eye on Gomer from a distance because he still loves her, even though she's rejecting him day after day. And I can actually see Hosea going to Gomer's lover and saying, you don't know me, but that woman you're living with is my wife, and I love her. Hey, how about taking some of my gold, some of my silver, and buying her the things that she needs? How about taking my gold and my silver and buying her the things that she wants? Then imagine being in Hosea's shoes. He has to stand back and watch this lover in an adulterous relationship with his wife go out and spend money on Gomer, and he makes her think that it's his own money when it's actually Hosea's money. He's lavishing it on her, and then Hosea has to stand back as he's rewarded for being such a good husband, you might say, giving her everything she wants, throwing hugs and kisses his way and all this stuff. It would have been really hard for Hosea. You might say that was a stupid thing for Hosea to do in the first place. Well, maybe it was. But how many know love can cause you to do some pretty stupid things? Amen? Love can cause you to do some real stupid things that don't make any sense at all. But before we heap a whole lot of judgment on Gomer this morning, I want to just stop and say, I think Gomer is more like us than we realize. Because she wasn't recognizing or acknowledging where her blessings come from. Let me ask you, when was the last time that you really, I mean really, honestly thank God for your blessings? Are you thankful for the food he provides? Are you thankful for the clothes that you wear? Are you thankful for the house that you live in, the, the car that you drive? So many times we're quick to thank our jobs for it, but after all, where did we get our jobs? Who blessed us with our jobs? God. So many times we thank our families, we thank our friends, we thank, of, uh, we thank our own strength. But a lot of times we don't stop to give God the credit. We don't give God the thanks and the praise that's due Him for being our provider. In his book called Gods at War, Kyle Eidelman, a great minister, shows that there are all sorts of gods fighting for the throne of our hearts. He says there's gods of comfort, there's gods of money, there's gods of sex, pleasure, family, fame and fortune, success. He suggests that the question we ought to be asking is, what do you sacrifice for? What are you making sacrifices for in your life? That's what's going to be important in your life. What makes you mad? What makes you sad? What makes you worried? Who are you looking for for the applause and the praise in your life? And then he says, the people are the things that steal your affection away from God, tell you exactly where your worship is, tells you exactly where and what you're worshiping. God is the one who gives us love, He gives us protection, He gives us provision, but He also warns us that He's the one that can take it away. 
The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. And yet His people, and I'll, I say that lightly, people that call themselves His people, a lot of times are out there chasing their own happiness, peace, joy, fulfillment, satisfaction, in all different kinds of places when it can only be found in one place. It can only be found in God. So think about Gomer again. She has left his home, but she hasn't left Hosea's heart. He still loves her regardless of how she has treated him, just as God has never stopped loving his people, even after they had left him and chased after other gods, worshipped other gods. So still, still, God loves his people regardless of what they've done, regardless of what we've done. So Hosea, think about this. He has shown love to Gomer over and over and over again. It didn't change her because she's still out there prostituting herself, which you can just imagine how horrible that would have been for Hosea. I'm imagining how embarrassed he could have been. Think about it. Everybody knew who Hosea was. He was God's man of the hour. He was God's prophet. He marries a prostitute, and now she's out there running around on him. I can just imagine the people whispering behind his back at the coffee shop, maybe putting a message out there on Facebook. Maybe they're tweeting it out. Can you imagine Hosea having to walk through the dirty streets and the bad neighborhoods and asking some pretty shady characters, have you seen my wife? Have you seen my wife Gomer? So in the latter part of chapter 2, Hosea decides he's going to take his hand off of her life. Look at verse 14. Therefore I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards, and I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. You know, I think this is symbolic of letting us know that God many times will allow his people to go through some desert times, some desert places, some rough areas in our lives to get our attention. And I say that because the valley of Achor really means the valley of trouble. So Hosea is saying, I'm going to lead her out into the wilderness, and I'm going to allow her to stumble in the valley of Achor or the valley of trouble. But there in that awful, terrible, dreadful place, I'm going to open a door of hope and a door of salvation. The thing is, what God did for the nation of Israel, He wants to do for us. Sometimes when we persist in going our own way and going astray, it's almost as if God takes His hand off of us, lets us suffer the consequences of what we've done. Sometimes we pray prayers for different people and uh, that he, God would deal with them, and it seems like they just get lower and lower and lower, and it goes from bad to worse. Well, let me just say there's a reason for that. Sometimes that has to happen in the bigger picture. You've got to realize that God will sometimes let us hit rock bottom so that we finally realize we have to turn around and look to Him for our help. He'll allow us to stumble into the valley of Achor, into that valley of trouble, but then did you catch the end of it? That's where he'll open a door of salvation. He'll open a door of hope. And maybe for some of us, if we hadn't got to that low, we'd have never realized the door of hope. We'd never seen the hope and the door of salvation. And for Gomer, rock bottom was exactly where she ended up. In the story, she became a slave. This guy took her up on the uh, slave block and was uh, going to sell her off as an animal, you might say. And historians say in that day, they took the slaves up on the slave block and they would strip them naked before the people. They would have to stand there naked, humiliated, and embarrassed before the people. So that's what they've done to Gomer. Hosea goes weeping to God and asks for his guidance, but look what God tells him in verse 3. The Lord said to me, Go show your love and your wife again, 
to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods. Basically, God is asking Hosea, Hosea, do you really love this woman in spite of what she's done to you? And I can imagine his response. He's nodding yes through his tears. And God says, then go show your love for her as I show my love for my people. I want you to imagine the scene. Gomer is led up on the slave block. All the people around are looking around. Uh, they see Hosea standing at the edge of the crowd. And I'm just thinking in their minds, they're thinking, okay, he's here to see he, her get what she deserves. He's here uh, uh, happy about her being sold off on the slave block. But Hosea is standing there. He sees her led up on a slave block, sees her stripped naked, embarrassed and humiliated before the people, and then the bidding begins. Someone bids three pieces of silver. He bids five. Some bids six pieces of silver. He goes to eight. Some bids ten pieces of silver. He goes to twelve. And then he stops the bidding altogether because he bids fifteen pieces of silver and a bushel of barley, which was more than a year's wages, an unbelievably high price to pay for a slave, especially one that was as unattractive as Gomer had become. And no one could beat that bid. No one wanted to beat that bid. So the auctioneer slams down his gavel and says, Sold. Hosea officially has his wife back. I can just imagine him going tenderly to her, helping her put her clothes back on. He didn't buy her to punish her. He bought her to redeem her. He didn't buy her to punish her. He loved her. He bought her to redeem her. This is what he does. He goes and he takes his own money, and a lot of it, and he buys her out of that prostitution, and he buys her out off of that slave block. He pays for his wife, which is exactly what God has done for us. Amen? So while we were out there prostituting ourselves against God, while we were yet sinners, the Bible says Christ died for us. He shed his blood on that cross. He gave it all so that you and I could know that kind of love. I want you to see in this beautiful story three elements that we have to look at today. Number one, there's the loving God, the holy God. Number two, there's the unfaithful human heart. And number three, there's the lure of the world. Let me just tell you this this morning. That's your story. That is my story. How many times do we go out there and try to find satisfaction in the things of this world? How many times have we been blinded like Gomer was? She couldn't tell the difference between love and lust. How many times have we fallen into that category? The truth is we even often try to run from God. And many times things go from bad to worse. There's an old saying, sin will take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay, and it'll cost you a whole lot more than you want to pay. Amen? That's what sin is. That's what sin does. I want to give you a couple points. I like to give some points in the sermon. I want to pick out two thoughts that I believe God is trying to show us about himself. Number one is God's love never changes. No matter what the situation is, God's love never changes. Hosea says in chapter 3, verse 1, The Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again. Though she's loved by another, she's an adulteress. But love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. And then in verse 3, Hosea says, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or intimate with any other man, and so I will live with you. I believe Jose is saying, Gomer, I've redeemed you. I've bought you. I've brought you home. 
And now all I ask of you is for you to live with me and for me in your faithfulness. I believe God is telling us, I don't love you because of what you do. I love you in spite of what you do. I don't love you because of who you are. I love you in spite of who you are. Amen? And when you really genuinely realize how much God loves us and the price that He paid for us, we can't help but love Him. We can't help but praise Him. We can't help but surrender to Him. We can't help thank Him and, and, and give our service and our hearts to Him. Second point, if you're taking notes, God's love never gives up. God's love never, ever gives up on us. There's a second lesson, and I believe it's a lesson that tends to be more for those that haven't fully committed to Christ. Maybe you're going uh, in that direction. Maybe you're not quite there yet. Maybe in your life you've got some low places going on. Maybe you feel deserted. And you're asking the question, where is God? Well, this book of Hosea tells us that he's not the one that's lost. We're the one that's lost. This book of Hosea says he came pursuing us. He came pursuing us up a hill called Calvary through a tunnel called the tomb. And down the halls of life's troubles and tests, he came after us. He came pursuing us when we didn't deserve it at all. He came pursuing us, wanting us to know him and to make us his own. How many know God's after your heart this morning? God is after your heart. If he can get your heart, then he's got the rest of you. Oh, it takes time to him to tweak us in shape, and he, we're all a work in progress. But he's got to get your heart first. And a big part of that is saying, God, I give you my heart. Amen? A man by the name of Rabbi Zachariah shares a story from one of Jim Baker's books where Jim Baker recalls a time where he was in the prison. He spent some time in prison for some things that he had done in the ministry. He was cleaning the bathrooms in the prison in his jumpsuit and with his mop and his old bucket of dirty water. He's mopping the prison floor, and I could just imagine how nasty that would be. And the guard comes in and, and says, Jim, you've got a visitor. And he kind of thinks, and he says, you know, I don't really feel like visitors today. And the guard said, well, I think you'll want to meet with this person. He kind of looks at himself again. He looks at his jumpsuit that's uh, splashed with all the uh, toilet water and everything else. And he smells a little bit, and he's not looking so good. And he says, I'm a mess. I can't go. The guard says, no, we'll give you time to clean up and go. And he thinks about it, and he thought, no, wait a minute. This is who I am. This is what I have become. He says, I'm going to go as I am. I'll go for the visit, but I'm going to go as I am. He puts down his mop, puts down the bucket. He walks down to the visitor area. He walks through the door, and he's stunned because there stands the Reverend Billy Graham. Reverend Billy Graham takes three big steps to him, throws his long arms around him in an embrace. Jim Baker says, I cried like a baby because he said, in that moment, I realized that my name represented everything that's wrong with Christianity, and his name represented everything that's good, pure, and holy about Christianity, and he's there hugging me. He's there loving me. And in that embrace, Billy Graham said, Jim, I love you in the same way. Why should such a pure and holy and loving God love any one of us? Why should such a pure and holy God love a sinful people like us? That's a question that we probably could never answer. But maybe the better question would be, why does an adulterous and idolatrous generation of people refuse to turn back to Him and come back to such a good, loving God? I think no matter where we're at in our walk with Christ, we need to stop and evaluate things sometimes. See which side of the fence we're on. Because we can call ourselves a Christian 
all day long. But are we acting Christ-like? Are we seeking Christ? Are we hungering and thirsting after all that He is and all that He wants for our lives? The truth is, and I said it last week, in every story in the Bible, we all want to be the hero. Well, I don't want to bust your bubble today, but in this story, we're not the hero. We're the gomers in this story. We're the promiscuous gomers out there, running around on our God, chasing after sin. We've all let things come between us and God. We've all put things ahead of God in our lives. We've left a a good God many times and chased after the pleasures of this world, the things of this world, to make us happy. But no matter how you cut it, we're the gomers in the story. Hosea plays the part of God. He bought us with a price, an unbelievable price, even while we were yet sinners. Hearing and knowing that, how could we not offer God all of us? How could we not offer God all of our hearts? And when you see and realize what He's done for us, then you'll realize why He wants not just a part of our hearts, He wants all of our hearts. And you'll see why it breaks His heart so much when we're out there basically spit, uh, uh, committing spiritual adultery. Because I believe God says, hey, I gave it all for you. I gave everything I could give for you. All I want is all of you. I gave you my all. I want your all. I want your heart. I want your focus. I want your faith. I want your surrender. I want your faithfulness. I want you to lay down your life. And I want you to know me now and forever. When you know that and you hear that, how could we respond in any other way? Think about it. How could we respond in any other way other than to lay down our life before God and thank Him for everything He's given us and many things that we can't even imagine that He's given us and thank Him every day for His goodness and His mercy, His grace and His loving arms like Billy Graham wrapped around us that don't deserve the love. But God every day gives us His love. That's the kind of God that we serve. Amen? He loves us. So today, if, you, if you're sitting here self-condemning yourself, stop it. As I said last week, leave your load of bar behind. Leave your wasteland behind and step into God's promises. Step into God's vision of who you are because He's called you who you are. He just wants us to surrender. Could you stand to your feet this morning? Could you bow your hearts in prayer? Father, I thank You that You are working on hearts this morning. Father, I thank You that this story relates to all of us. No matter where we think we are in our walk with you, Lord God, we're not there yet. Father, I pray you'd capture our hearts through this amazing story of Hosea's love for Gomer. Help us to see your goodness and your love for us, even though we've been unfaithful to you so many times. I pray you'd change and transform our hearts to see you as the loving God who never gives up on us, who never stops loving us. Father, I pray that you would guide us into a faithful, dedicated life that's every day totally committed and totally devoted to you. Father, we know that we'll mess up. But Father God, I thank you for your grace. And I thank you for your love that are, that's pulling hearts this morning closer to your heart. I thank you for this amazing story of Hosea, Lord God, that we can see a, an unbelievable type of love and realize an unbelievable type of price that was paid so that we could be made known to you and that we could know you, that we could be resurrected unto Christ. We give you thanks, we give you glory, and I pray this little message would change the way we look at our world, look at our lives in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you all. Go out and have a great day.